A few years ago, when I was at the seminary, I remember a time uh, I went to a cafe. It was a pretty common thing for me. I, I like my coffee in the morning. But I went there to read some, one of my books for, the cla- for one of my classes. I, I believe it was Incarnation Myth or Fact, although I guess the book title doesn't really matter all that much. And as I sat there reading, somebody saw the title came over and said, hello, hi, how are you doing? Okay, interesting, you're interrupting while I'm reading, but whatever. So are you a Christian? Yes. Well, how could you be a Christian? How can you believe this or that about Christianity, about your faith? How can you defend the claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Do you really believe everyone else is condemned to hell? How can you defend the church after the crusades, after the abuses, after the way they've oppressed people? Whoa, accusation after accusation came at me hard and fast. It was only, I think, about 8.15, maybe 8.20 in the morning. I was only about a quarter of the way through my first cup of coffee. I wasn't prepared for this yet. All I wanted to do was finish my reading before my lecture in about an hour and a half. I wasn't prepared for a huge debate or for accusations, but there I was. I had to be on my game as accusation after accusation were thrown at me. I didn't feel like I deserved any of it. I was just sitting there trying to do my work. So I slowed down and I tried to talk to the, the guy. I said, you know, hey, can, can, can you slow down? Can we have a conversation? Oh, he, he didn't want to have any of that. He was happy to tell me how awful Christians were and wanted to give me the business, but he didn't really want to slow down and hear anything from me. It was at that moment that in my mind I realized nothing I say to this man is going to change his opinion. Even if I have the right answers, even if I can defend my position, it's not going to do much. I'm just going to get into a heated yelling match with him. But everyone else in this cafe is going to see how I react as the accusations come at me. See, it's some, while my life was, was not in danger and, and I didn't really feel threatened, at least not physically by the man, it's easy to get unsettled when things like that happen. You see, it, this isn't something we should be surprised by as Christians. Christians have been hated for their faith for centuries. In the, the early Christians were sent to the Colosseum as the lions were sent on them because they were Christian. And still today, around the world, in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia, Christians are persecuted for their faith. They're willing to to put up life and limb for the God they believe in. See, while while we don't really face that same sort of persecution here in the the United States, we have freedom of religion, We, we feel pretty safe as we come into the church. We do face challenges, we do face persecutions, we face and come across people who don't like us simply because we have faith in Christ. As we go through today's readings, that shouldn't surprise us. You see, we're the kind of people who have a hope in something greater than here and now. And that can unsettle people. As you go through the readings, you hear about people who endured persecution, that were hated for faith's sake, But God says those people have come out of the great tribulation into the presence 
of the true king. But why, why do these people get upset with us? Why do they, they not like us as Christians? That may be a, a complex, too complex of a question to, to answer fully here. But there is one simple reason. See, we're different from culture. We value different things. We understand our place in the world in a different way than most people do. See, we're a counter-cultural people. We challenge culture. We challenge culture because we believe that this life isn't just all about us. We believe that there is a higher purpose. We believe in something greater. See, Christians often seem weird to the world around us because we have a peculiar story that we confess in the words of the creed each and every week. We have a particular morality that says what right and wrong is based on what God has revealed to us. We believe we have purpose as we are God's created children, that we weren't created without meaning. And we have a permanent hope that says that this isn't all there is, but that we're destined for something greater, for somewhere better, for the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. When people in our world hear this message, they tend to resent us because we have peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. We have hope even in the face of suffering and insurmountable odds. And they don't like that because it's what they want and they don't know where to find it, but they don't want to believe what you believe. And so sometimes we face persecution. We struggle. See, it's because we have a particular identity in Christ and we have a hope that cannot be shaken. See, Christians are called to endure suffering. That might surprise you. See, it's not often the message we like to hear. It's not often the message we want to go through. But we can endure it because we've been transformed by God's grace. By the call that says that we are God's people claimed by his blood. Now we are named as his children. See, our, our world... We hear the messages, even of the gospel, and we hear a diluted message that says, if you do the right thing, you'll be blessed now. You know, kind of that message of, of karma, what goes around comes around. And so we, we hear this message that, that God will bless us, and we hear some of the, the words of Jesus' message in the gospel, that the meek will inherit the earth, and we hear that God cares about all our needs, and so we, we believe that we'll be blessed now. See, that's the problem. We hear that message of, of from people like Joel Osteen of, of have your best life now. Well, that's not what Jesus promises. Jesus doesn't promise that you'll have the, the money, the success, the fancy car, the house you want here and now. He doesn't say that life is going to be easy here and now, although I don't think life is really all that easy for anyone. Even when you see people like Donald Trump who have billions of dollars, I see someone broken. I see someone longing for approval. When you see the other rich people, when you see the politicians, when you see the celebrities that seem to have all the success we want, they seem to just have this empty life that seems desperate for something greater. Whether you're a Christian or not, it doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy life. See, the reality is that, that having riches in this life or a lack thereof doesn't say anything about your standing before God 
It doesn't say your position before God because riches are not good or bad, but how you use them is what shapes whether or not you are doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Okay, so that's not our message, but what is the message of Christianity then for this life? Take up your cross and follow. Put Christ first and put everything else secondary. That's a hard message to hear. It's a hard call to follow, to put Christ first, to say that, that money doesn't matter, that my possessions don't define me. See, as you do that, you'll find that the world will hate you. Why? Because it hated Christ first. It hates you because you're able to forgive when they can't. You're able to show mercy when they cannot. You're able to love people who they find unlovable. You're able to walk with a certain peace, no matter what comes in this life, no matter what circumstances you might be facing. You have hope that nothing in this world can take from you. And that unsettles people. See, our our call as Christians is not to an easy life, not to a, a comfortable life, but to a life that puts Christ first and knows what matters most. It's being part of his kingdom being part of of his family. That's what matters most. So what is the the hope that we have that that transcends the present circumstances? It's the hope that on that last day, when the trumpet sounds announcing the return of our resurrected king, we who were baptized are forgiven and freed in Christ. Christ. See, there will be no more death, no more pain, no more sin, no more sickness, no more brokenness, no more tears. Because in Christ, they have been overcome and defeated. You have been healed. As one who was baptized in Christ on that last day, it says that your heart will be transformed and restored. That your bodies will be resurrected. You will be given new lives with an incorruptible body that goes on into eternity that has all of its deepest longings fulfilled in Christ. When you have that kind of hope, it transforms you. When you realize that you've been given that by grace, you cannot, be, you cannot remain the same person. You've been changed. See, as you experience that hope, that truth, you can't live the same kind of life in your day-to-day, here and now. Everything changes. Because you have been called a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And nothing can take you from his hand. You have been called a brother of the resurrected and and reigning king, Jesus Christ. That gives you hope. That gives you purpose. But how does it change our lives today? How does it transform our lives here and now? Well, it's simple. Our lives are transformed because we have hope that does not fail and a purpose that is greater than ourselves tied to something eternal. See, we have purpose that is tied to something eternal. It's not about amassing riches for us here and now. It's not about proving our value to other people here and now because we have already been declared valuable to the most powerful, most important person in the whole universe. Outside of the universe, God Almighty says that you are of infinite worth. Our lives are transformed. And so we don't have to try and prove how lovable we are, how lovable we are based on our riches, 
based on our achievements, based on what we possess or own, on the things that moth and rust can destroy. Rather, we find our hope and our purpose by being connected to the eternal, unshakable kingdom of God. We place our hope in that reality, in that truth, that we belong to that kingdom as God's children. We are transformed by grace. And you see, as you, as you do that, you realize that you have been given everything in and through Christ. See, your, your life is transformed because you realize that, that your salvation was not something earned, but a gift given to you through the church by God's grace. That God has claimed you as his own. As you do that, you stop clinging to the things of this world to find value. You stop holding on to everything tight-fistedly. Rather, you, you live with open hands, receiving the blessings of God, but also sharing the blessings you have received in your time, in your talent, and your treasures with, with the world around you. Because God is going to use those things to transform the world. So you have a hope that transcends the here and the now. All of this all this changes your life. So you might, as you might be aware, we're, we're starting a, a stewardship campaign this week, or this, this, for the next three weeks, we'll be going through it. But you won't hear me say that God needs your money. Because God does not need your money. Everything is already his anyways. But God does want you. He wants all of your life. He's already proven that in Christ, that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to have you back. See, God wants all of your life to be transformed by his grace, shaped by what he has done for you. He doesn't just want an hour on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. He doesn't just want a $100 bill every month. No. He wants every part of your life to be shaped by his grace. See, it, it means that, that the way you work, the way you rest, the way you love your family, the way you treat your neighbors, the way you spend your free time, it matters to God. The way you use your talents matters to God. The way you choose to spend your money matters to God because it's all a gift from him. See, everything we have, we ought to use to glorify God and to give him praise and thanks. Everything we do should be for God because everything we have is from God. And that transforms all that you are. Transforms all that you are. See, throughout history, there are countless stories of the saints, the saints who've gone before us. Some of those named in our bulletin earlier as we read through it, celebrating All Saints Day this evening, who understood this truth. See, they were able to, to serve others, to care for others, to give out of their, their time, their talent, and their treasure because they put God first in their life and everything else came secondary. Story after story you hear about the martyrs throughout the history of the church <laughs> declare this truth that they were willing to lay down everything, life and limb, for their God because they knew the unsurpassed riches of life in Christ, that nothing else could compare to what they had in that promise. See, you and I, we live lives that are transformed by God's grace, 
We live lives that, that begin to start to look like the description of a disciple in Matthew chapter five. Let me read it again for you today and, and realize and hear these promises that Jesus says. As you hear these promises, realize that our worldly priorities are often the opposite of heavenly ones. The mournful will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. The merciful will be shown mercy. The pure in heart will see God. The peacemakers will be called children of God. But these are all future blessings promised to us. But for we who are poor in spirit, confessing our need and dependence on God's grace, and for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, the kingdom of God is ours now. We already receive it by faith. And that transforms every part of our lives. See, we already possess the eternal blessing of being a child of God, and nothing can take that from us. So while we may wait for all things to be made right, we wait in hope that does not fail. And this transforms how we see the world. It means that as we see the persecution, as we see the cost of sin and brokenness on our world, we mourn, but we also continue to press forward. We use our time, our talents, and our gifts because God works through them to transform the lives of those around us. God works through your gifts. See, God, God loves you, but he also sends you. And as he sends you and me, the body of Christ, his church, he calls on us to care for the lost, to lift up the hurting, to heal the broken, to forgive the desperate. And he does that through our gifts in the church. Because we are those who have been transformed by his grace. Amen.